Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This text from Corinthians is the basis for my message this morning, and especially beginning with verses 4 through 7. The love verses, as they are often called. Probably to many of you, these are very familiar verses. They may have been used when you married your true love and remembered by, by you on the anniversary of that wedding ceremony. I know as a pastor in, who's done a lot of weddings, a lot of couples rec- uh, requested this particular Bible passage that St. Paul wrote so many years ago to be used in their wedding ceremony. The verses describe God's perfect love. And in a wedding ceremony, where else could love be more perfect? And so the verses are appropriate there and appropriate for consideration and remembrance as the years go by. The verses encourage the the, uh, bride and the groom to express in giving and receiving this love that comes from Christ in their lives as Jesus would express it in their lives. And so in a way they would be like Jesus, loving as he loves. Now there's a little bit of a downside to loving like Jesus loves us because there's a cost. And Jesus spelled out that cost for all of us to understand and accept. In Matthew 16, 24, the disciple Peter in his zeal for following Christ has just pledged undying loyalty to Jesus, to even including being Jesus' personal bodyguard. And for this, Jesus rebukes Peter and tells him and tells the other disciples as well that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. St. Paul, in other selections of his letters, describes the change that takes place in our lives when we become like Jesus. He writes in Romans, he says, present your bodies as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, in plain English, what does all of this mean? The Lutheran Study Bible explains that the message of the cross is really very simple. It's that we see unbelievers with a new compassion. We see them as people with no true spiritual comprehension. And I just ran into a a glaring example of this the other day in my work at the hospital. A young man with serious diseases has no place to go in his mind for assistance and help, encouragement, or even love too much. No one at all. We see this gentleman and we see these people without spiritual comprehension. He didn't know where to go. He didn't know who to ask or how. The Lutheran Study Bible goes on and says, the Holy Spirit grants such understanding only through the gospel. So in other words, we can see believers 
as we are, as though we are looking through them through the eyes of Jesus. Now, to be like Jesus means that we think, we speak, and we act in love to believers and unbelievers, to everybody. In John 13, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Three times he makes that point. Now, St. Paul is not writing about weddings when he penned this letter to the church at Corinth. He's describing in the letter in total what he has seen in the Corinthian church and what he has also seen in the Corinthian Christians. And he goes and steps out and says, this is what unbelievers see. What they see is not unity growing from love for one another. Instead, it's division. It's a division based on self-serving attitudes. And he says the Corinthian church is like a human body in which all the different parts want to go and do things their own way. One leg wants to go north, the other leg wants to go south. And the result, nobody goes anywhere. And the church becomes a caricature of what it's supposed to be. So the Corinthian church may be gifted in many ways, Paul talks about that in detail, but his message to the unbeliever is a confused message. It's confused because it doesn't have love in it. And because of that, its message means nothing. Love, we see, in Christ is everything. God is love. Jesus is love. We are to be love. St. Paul describes what love is and what it is not. And these are our well-known verses again. Love is patient. It is not, I want it now. Love is kind. It's not insensitive. Love is content. It does not envy. Love is polite. It is not arrogant or rude. Love is self-control. It is not irritable. Love forgives. It is not resentful. Love celebrates truth. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love is strong. It's wise. It is eternal. This is the love that led Jesus to give himself up to suffer and die on the cross, to pay for all of the unlove that the human race was expressing in the past, was expressing then and now, and would express in the future. And he died for the Corinthians simply because he loved them. And he died for us because simply he loves us. And God the Father raised him, Jesus, from the dead so that every one of us can receive eternal life and live expressing God's love, just like Jesus would express God's love. And in that way, we can be like Jesus. Now, the Corinthians replaced the pursuit of love with the pursuit of status, class, and power. And how different that is from how Jesus described what we are actually to pursue. In Matthew 25, verse 31 and following, he really lays it out clearly. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another 
just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer the Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer and answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Well, so what would, what would keep us from doing all these things? For not only the least of these, as Jesus describes them as his brothers, but for everybody else as well. What would keep us from responding to Jesus' invitation to sit down with him, take off our heavy loads, and take the one he gives us? Could it be that the word cross-bearing and yoke-bearing implies suffering and pain and inconvenience and uncomfortableness? So we are not so enthusiastic to pick up our cross or to pick up Jesus' yoke and trudge down a road following him in his journey that will lead to a suffering and death and resurrection. And who knows what will happen to us. But you know the cross and the yoke that Jesus refers to from time to time, they are not symbols of shame or failure, especially the cross. They have become symbols of victory and triumph. They are worn every day by, as personal jewelry to attract an observer's eye. And that means a person on the street that you don't know and will never see again. But the cross you wear attracts their eye. And so we boldly display the symbol of our faith, faith in the Son of God who died on a cross to set us free from sin, death, and the devil, and to live in glory forever. And we boldly display it not only here, but in the secular word world too. It's almost everywhere. To me, that means we represent the only hope people have of getting out of this world dead and alive to live in the presence of God. We've been baptized into his death. We were buried with him by baptism into death so that he was raised, as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life, in faith in Christ. You know, the good news for our, our whole lives as Christians is the worst that could ever happen to us as believers happened on a cross 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem. And when Jesus came out of his grave on the third day of his death, by faith he brought us out of the grave with him. So the road we follow him down is not a death march. It is a victory march, and it's made up of all the believers from the beginning with Adam and Eve to all of us and the countless throngs of believers who are yet to come to be born. And what does Jesus tell us to do? He says, stay, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. That by this all people will know and that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a love Paul wants the Corinthian church to express, to embrace and to express. Now here are all those spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit gives. Paul lists them in his letter to Corinthians. It's not that they had them all, but these are almost all the ones that the Holy Spirit can give out. They are manifestation of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, interpretation, prophets, teachers, helpers, administration. And you know, God even uses our times of suffering to give us hope, another gift. St. Paul writes that God's love enables us to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our journey to become like Jesus always begins at the cross and then takes us to the empty tomb, then takes us into the world where Christ is present in the midst of the least of all the people. You know, God has really blessed our congregation here with so many spiritual gifts. This church was not built to be a monument to the past as many edifices are and have become. This church is used today to use our gifts to bring healing and support to the hungry and the thirsty and to be a welcome mat, a welcome place to refugees. It's a place to provide food and clothing and even education, provide help to the abandoned, to provide comfort and hope to the sick. God has blessed us with spiritual gifts to preach the good news of Christ to every person who has a sin problem, announcing to them the solution that is in Jesus Christ. So from entering the very front doors is this building where you can avail yourself of support from the Stephen ministry for your own issues to the sanctuary right here in which our worship is being streamed to the world and to the school outside that provides Christian education of the creation and the world and a place where unborn children are treasured as a blessing from God and to the mission where the surplus of the haves are freely given to the have-nots. Paul writes, hope, faith, hope, and love abide, but only one is the greatest, and the greatest is love, and it is love that makes us to be more and more like Jesus. We can never stop the process. It's love that can make these song lyrics a reality in our lives. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask is to be like him. So let us continue the journey we have begun years ago, our journey to become like Jesus, so all people will know we are his disciples. And loving one another as he has loved us and as we love them.
In Jesus' name.